The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to have you here today. If it's your first time here, I would encourage you to fill out a connection card. You can find those in the seat back in front of you. Today we're having a potluck. We're going to try this out and see if just a monthly potluck works for us and just uh, bring something. And you say, well, man, I forgot to bring something. Don't worry, we'll share, okay? If it's your first week here, you can stay as well if you want to meet some folks from the church. should be a good time. I'm looking forward to that immediately after uh, the service. I want to tell you a story, and forgive me if I've told it before. Um, it's kind of a funny story. Back in, I think, 2001, Abby and I built our first home back in Oklahoma. We didn't have children at the time, uh, Abby was pregnant with Joel, and, and we built a house. And it was kind of out in, in the country a little bit. It wasn't in a neighborhood. And so we moved into this new home. The first week we moved into this new home, it's just strange living in, in a new place. Like when you have your old home, like you can wake up and go to the kitchen or the bathroom in the middle of the night, and your mind just knows how many steps it is to those locations. You don't, like, you just know. It's kind of weird how you're, you memorize those things. You can move around the house. When you get into a new house, like, you can't do that. You're bumping into things. You're trying to figure it all out. Everything's foreign territory. And so we moved into this home, and the first week we were into the home, like, it was a little nerve-wracking to be there and be in a new place and, and be kind of out on our own. And, and so we didn't have kids, so I kept a loaded gun by the door like by my, or by the bed next to the, the bathroom door. And so we went to bed one night, uh, I think it was our second night in the home, and I had been doing a lot of work around the place because we still had a, just a ton of stuff to do outside, and, and it was a, a weekend, and I just worked and worked and worked, and I was exhausted. And then we had some friends over that evening, um, and then and I went to bed that night, and I just crashed. And so... I'm in like one of those, you know, you know what that kind of sleep I'm talking about? The kind of sleep like you open the windows and it's cool outside and you're just gone. You know what I mean? Come on now, like that kind of sleep. And so like at about like 2 o'clock in the morning, man, the alarm goes off. <laughs> and I immediately just rolled out of bed, grabbed the gun, and I'm standing there like this. Like I didn't know what was going on. Why is the alarm going off? And so I'm like, man, uh, I start moving down through the house. I've got to go investigate because Abby's not going to do it. <laughs> and so I go through the house, and long story short, what had happened is um, we, I set the alarm, and Abby opened the garage after I set the alarm. It has a countdown, you know, like a minute. I set the alarm, went to bed. Well, she opened the garage door and threw something away, which activated the motion detector. So when she got up, the alarm went off and uh, freaked me out. And so I believed somebody was in the house. So I tell that story to, to set up this. We live in, a, in an age where people say, it doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Like if you're a sincere person, it doesn't matter what you believe. Well, it does matter what you believe. You could sincerely believe that someone is in your house that a burglar is in the home, and in your sincere belief, you could shoot one of your children because you sincerely thought 
there was a, a burglar in the house and you were going through and all of a sudden one of your children and you're in that state of panic, you're sincere in your belief, but it has serious consequences when we believe a lie. And so it always has serious consequences when we believe a lie and our faith in truth is never misplaced. So it does matter what we believe. Like it matters, it is, it is extremely important that we go, look at and go, okay, what is it here that I believe about life and about truth? And a person who loves life, as we've been talking about in this series in 1 John, is a person who understands how to build his or her life on truth, not on lies. If you build your life on lies, ultimately it's going to bring about a lot of heartache in your life. But if you build it on truth, um, then you're going to come to a, a place where you can actually love your life because the foundation of your life is built on truth rather than lies. And so in 1 John chapter 2, verses um, 18 and following, um, the Lord is warning the church about truth and error. And so John, is, he's, he's a fun writer, man. He has a different writing style. And, and he's, he's, warned us about, um, he's warned us about light and darkness. He's warned us about love and hate. And so when we get to this section, he begins to deal with truth and error. And so as we unpack this passage of Scripture, listen for the warning that the Apostle John, through the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit and under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, He's writing the word of God that will be preserved for centuries. Like God knew when John wrote this that thousands of years later that Jimmy Holbrook was going to be teaching from it in this church. And it has been preserved as the word of God. And so there's a warning coming to the church as this is a general audience that, that the first uh, letter of John is written to. And he says this, dear children, and again, we're, we're going into that that. That, that idea, he keeps using this phrase, little born ones. Like there's a conversion that has happened in these people's lives. Dear children, this is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Here's the first takeaway for you today. We are in the last of days, but not the least of days. Like we are living in, in the last days, but not the least of days. There's, there's something incredible coming uh, off in the future. And so one might ask, as John wrote this, if it is the last hour or the last day in John's day, why hasn't Jesus returned? Like if John is writing to the church and he's saying, we're in the last days, why isn't Jesus, like it's been 2,000 years, why hasn't Jesus come back? That's a great question for us to ask about this passage of Scripture. And in the language of God, the last days covers God's dealings with the lost world from the birth of Christ until the new heavens and the new earth. And here in a moment, I'll show you what I'm talking about. But we have to understand that God works in the midst of time, but he is above and outside of time. 
That's why the apostle Peter says, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Like we function in the midst of time and God has placed us in the realm of time and so we measure everything by time itself, by a day, the sun coming up and the sun going down. It's not like that for God. God created the sun. God created um, the moon. He created time itself when he made those two things. But he is beyond time, and he functions in it. And so when the Bible uses the language, the last days, it, doesn't, it, it, it carries this segment of time that we are now living in. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We have been living in the last days since Jesus was born. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets. So he's talking about the Old Testament. Like everything that God had been dealing with, the people of God, he said, we, He spoke in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at times and in various, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. So so the last days started when Jesus showed up on the planet. We've been in the last days since Jesus was crucified. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verse 26. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. And so here's a, a biblical writer using a time definition. There is a shift in the ages. Something has happened since Jesus was crucified. We've been in the last days since the Holy Spirit came. Look at uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Well, we know at the day of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit came, and now God dwells in the heart of the believer. It is the last days because the Holy Spirit lives in the people of God. Uh, look, we've been in the last days since the church age began. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. And so that it's an example for how the church is to function in the age that it is, we're now living in the church age. Before Jesus and before the crucifixion, we didn't have churches. There were synagogues and priests and prophets, but Jesus comes, and rather than now the people going to the temple, he sacrifices himself on the cross of Calvary. He rises from the dead. He sends back the Holy Spirit, and the temple is now irrelevant because humanity, who people who have been born again, the little born ones, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so now we are little temples that are running around on the planet because Christ is living in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're living in this age that before that was not the case. Before God's presence, this is the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. Before God's presence was um, indicated by the Ark of the Covenant and it was placed in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, in the most holy place, the Ark of the Covenant was there and that's where God's presence was was on the planet. But after Christ, God's presence is in the heart of the believer. That's why you have all of these people who, uh, once the, the outpouring of the Spirit happened, they went from uh, timidity 
and in hiding, being afraid that their own lives were going to be taken, that when the, the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, God unleashes his spirit on believers and he invades the heart of the believer and these guys came out of hiding and changed the world. First sermon preach, or Peter ever preached, over 3,000 people got saved. Boom, we are in the church age. Just like that. That's how it happened. So before then, we were not in the last days, but after that, we were in the last days. So, so we've been living, the church, Christians have always been in the last time. Anybody who has become a follower of Jesus is living in the last days. That's what the Bible uses to describe the last days. Now, in the last days, the Bible says, there will be many antichrists. Now, anti means opposite, okay? So when John says, in the last days, he says, dear children, it's the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. Jesus even said this would happen. And so what does that mean? In the last days, there will be many Antichrists, and anti means opposite. So it describes three things in the Bible, the word Antichrist. A spirit that opposes or denies Christ. That's what an antichrist is. A, a, a false teacher who embodies that spirit is an antichrist. And a person finally, ultimately, at the end of the age, right before Jesus comes back, is, it describes a person who will lead a final rebellion against Christ. So there is a spirit of the antichrist at work in the world, and there has been ever since um, the, the time of Christ. And so we look at um, what God is trying to prepare us for. He's saying, listen, it is very, very important for us to understand that we're living in the last of days, but not the least of days. And in the last of days, there will be many antis. So it is possible, <laughs> let me encourage you a little bit. It's possible that there could be an antichrist sitting amongst us right now. What is an antichrist? Someone who opposes or denies Jesus. So it's possible that someone could come visit. You came with a friend. You don't even believe in this stuff. You're anti-Christ, okay? So we've, we've taken this word and we've just said, oh, man, it's this guy down and I'm terrified of the Antichrist. I am not afraid of the Antichrist, all right? Why? Because I have the Christ in me. Like, there's nothing to be afraid of. And so I'm not anti. And so, like, we look at this and Antichrists are operating all around us even now. Like, they're, they're, it's just a real, like, that's what it means to be uh, an antichrist is that there are people in the world who oppose Christ. And so that is, that is a real possibility. So in the last days, it says there will be many of these. And now what, what, is it, what does it mean to be antichrist? Well, they, first of all, you de deny the fundamentals of the faith. And so what are the, fun, like, like, just the fundamental things of what it means to be a Christian? Uh, the deity of Christ, one who denies that Christ was divine. We see that a lot. Like if you watch, there would be a lot of people in society who believe that Christ was a great teacher, but he was not divine. That's anti-Christ. Um, to, to deny the verbal inspiration of Scripture. Now this is, this is where I think we see it and it kind of slips in and we let it go. And we go, we don't think. That's anti-Christ. Like if a person denies the verbal inspiration of Scripture that the Word is the Word of God, then they are antichrist. 
It is the spirit of Antichrist. They're embodying the spirit of Antichrist. Um, if, if they deny the bodily resurrection of Christ, that is Antichrist. If, if people say, well, I believe that Jesus was a great dude, he was a prophet, a lot of people in the world believe that, but they don't believe in the resurrection. That's Antichrist. Um, if they deny the second coming, like he's coming. So these are the fundamentals of the faith. And when there, there is a compromise on any of these issues, we move from being pro-Christ to antichrist. That's why I'm always talking about, man, the word is the central, like most important thing we have to guide us. And when you start compromising the word, you've become anti. Now, granted, there are divisions among the body of Christ. Like we might look at the word and say, okay, there may be disagreements about different things in the word. But Within the body of Christ, we all have this in common, or it's anti. Again, the Bible is the word of God. It is not to be changed. It is to be held as the rule of life. And and so we look at it, we have a high view of Scripture and say, listen, this is God-breathed, and and this is what the text means. It doesn't mean anything else, and and so we have a high view of the word. Jesus is the son. Men are sinners who need to be saved. Christ died and rose, and he's, he's coming back. Anything, like we get off on any of that, we're anti. And see, this is why I think the devil is so smooth in the way he w- operates in our system. We've taken antichrist, and we've just labeled it to one thing out in the future. Instead of realizing, man, antichrist, the spirit of the antichrist, is, it's happening all around us right now, and we need to be very aware of it. It was happening in the early church. John says to these second-generation Christians, listen, man, there are many antichrists all around. They actually came from within us. That's what he says. Like, they didn't remain. He says, they went out from us. Like, they started with us, and we thought they were in, but they are anti. They are anti-Jesus. They are anti-Christ. They don't believe in the fundamentals of the faith. And so what you believe makes all the difference in the world, and it's, it's, it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to understand, listen, man, there are people all around us who don't realize that what they are believing is really, really important. And if they don't get it right, if they don't get it right and place their faith in the truth, they may be sincere in something, but they are believing sincerely in a lie. And it is so vitally important for us as followers of Jesus to go, man, my life is going to be built on the truth. Why? So that it can shine into the darkness of the world. That's why John is he's parallel. He's showing, look, here's light, darkness. Here's love, hate. Here's truth, error. And, and he's trying to get the followers of Jesus to understand, man, we have got to be serious about living our faith in such a way that it shines into the world and people can see Christ in us. So it makes all the difference in the world what we believe. Um, I, you know, I, I, I pray a lot. <laughs> Which a, a person who's going to lead a church should probably pray a lot, right? Um, and so I, I talk to the Lord a lot. And I've been asking the Lord for, for about six months, since April. Lord, show me what lie Overland Park is believing. Like, show me what lie Overland Park is believing so that I can know how to effectively, like, as, as a, a person responsible in the kingdom for leading a, a, a local fellowship, a body, part of your body, I know how to lead forward in that. And I was kind of expecting the Lord to say, it's addiction. It's, it's alcoholism and drugs and that. 
That's what it is. I was expecting the Lord to say that. And, and I really feel like the Lord has really started to impress upon me in the last few weeks that it's religion. Like the lie our community believes is religion. Like it doesn't matter where you go to church. It doesn't matter what, what, what place you're in. It doesn't matter what they teach as long as you are sincere in that. It matters. And it is a lie if we don't understand, man, that sometimes people are believing a lie and we gotta, we gotta have love for them, and our love doesn't mean, listen, it, do not walk out of our church today and say, man, our, our Jimmy's trying to fire us up to go tell everybody you're believing a lie. No, that's not what Jimmy's trying to do. Jimmy's trying to teach you that your life needs to be built on the truth, and it needs to be so solid, and you need to be so serious and sincere in your faith that the people who are involved in the lie can see it. They just see it, and then they want to be it because they realize something is missing in their own lives. And so as we look at this, we see that uh, the first takeaway is we are in the last of days but not the least of days. And by that, and I'll share here, here in a moment, we'll come across it, but the, 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 the passage talks about eternal life, like there's something coming in the future where we're going to live for eternity and that the Lord is coming back. The second coming of Christ is going to happen, and, and we are made up for that. And so as we live out in this age called the last of days, we need to have this eager expectation that Jesus is coming back, and he could come back at any moment. And that is exciting stuff, man, to think the Lord is returning. And all of this broken stuff that is messed up, is, it just frustrates us. Man, I, I am so frustrated right now as an American. I've never been this frustrated as an American. Like, I'm looking and going, what is going on with the country? Like, do you guys feel that way? Like, I'm watching news, I'm like, ah! Like, what is, what is the deal? And I can't wait for the Lord to come back just to fix everything, man. Like, I don't want to be frustrated by that stuff. But we're always going to be frustrated. We're always going to be frustrated until the Lord comes back. Because when he comes back, he's going to fix everything. And so in the meantime, the last days until the coming of Christ, our job is to work against that, to work against that world system and try to improve it, try to bring restoration, try to bring healing, try to bring love, try to bring truth, try to bring light. See, that's what he's, he's doing. John is saying, look, man, you got light and darkness. You got love and hate. You got truth and error. And we got to hate the system of the world, but love the people in it. And we got to be light that stands for truth that shines because we are living in the last days, but it is not the least of days. We're all headed toward this incredible event of the second coming of Christ. And so what you believe makes all the difference in the world. And, and when we, we, here's the second thing that John teaches us is when our lives are built on truth, we recognize it by the seal of the deal. Like, how do you know if a person's life is built on truth or a lie? It's the seal in the deal, man. Listen to what he says. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. So he, he, he moves from talking about the Antichrist and the spirit of Antichrist so now he's talking about the anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. 
No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so John is saying that that people with distorted faith are antichrist. And people who have true faith, the faith in the truth of who Christ is in the gospel, are anointed. Are, are, are anointed of God. And so what does that mean? Like, well, the word anointing means they would pour ointment. Like, we'd anoint people with oil. When the first um, uh, priest, Aaron, was selected in the Old Testament, like, they took him and put him aside, and, and Moses poured the anointing oil over him, and it ran over him in preparation that he was set apart as a priest of God. So it was symbolic of him being set apart. And so when, when the Bible talks about the anointing, it is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in an individual's life. When we recognize, like when we, when we come to a point where we believe Jesus is God in the flesh, and I'm a sinner, and I acknowledge my sin and confess it before the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Lord, forgive me, a sinner, and I'm broken over my, my sin and his holiness. And he looks at that, and I bow the knee in submission to the, the master, Jesus Christ. There is an outpouring of anointing on my life as the Spirit of God invades me. The, the anointing is the Holy Spirit. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22. The Apostle Paul tells us. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us. He set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So what happens here? Like when we say that you need to be born again, you're born of the Lord, then what we're saying is that that somehow like God initiates this, this relationship. He draws you unto himself. And as he draws you in, in his sovereignty, he grants freedom of will. So every person has a will of their own. And, and so we can know the Lord. I've been talking a lot about this lately. We can know the Lord in our heart or in our head. Like we know him. We know, we know about Jesus. We know about the historical Christ. We know about the story of the gospel. We know about the story of the resurrection. We know the Bible. We know a lot of stuff, okay? We know. But in the midst of knowing that and coming to the realization that we're sinners, and confessing that sin to Christ and believing on Jesus as the Savior of the world. There is no other way. When I come there, and I believe Jesus is, the, is my Savior, and I receive that truth, then God moves the truth from my head to my heart, and the deal has been sealed. Like now, and so, so like that's the born-again piece. It's not just knowing what to do, and knowing that it needs to be done, it's that God has done it. Like, I have acknowledged it, I have received it, and God has done it. I'm born spiritually. 
And, and that is the God, that is the divine peace. And, and so like we look and we go, okay, what we should be looking for as we're living out our lives, number one is I want to recognize that the deal has been sealed in my own life. And it has, like the, I know I am right with God. Like, in spite of my failure, I know I'm right with God. Why? Because the deal has been sealed. I'm not the same person I used to be. And so I look at that and go, man, I mean, God has done a work in my life. And so, so as I'm looking at other people and I'm interacting with other people, one of the things I'm looking at is, does this person function like I do? Not, not meaning that they're the, they have the same personality, but meaning that they function in life like I do. And how is that that one should function with a yielding to the word of God as the authority in their lives and that they begin to make the Lord the most important and their neighbor the second most important? And here's the thing, man, is people, humans are incapable of doing that without Jesus like, we just can't do it. Like, we're just selfish creatures. But when the Lord really gets in us, like, we not only can do it, we want to do it. Before, we don't care. And so we will find that we're interacting with people, and we can tell if the, if the Lord has moved the truth from a person's head to their heart. That's why you can meet other believers, and all of a sudden, you feel connected. Because you are. This is why the early church immediately started referring to themselves as brothers and sisters in Christ. There was an immediate bond, just like the blood that runs through my brother's veins comes from the same source that um, the blood that runs through my veins. And so my brothers, Tommy and Mark and Jeff, we are brothers by blood and there is kinship and we love each other. There is spiritual blood running through my veins through the anointing of the Lord. And when I meet another brother or sister in whom has that same spiritual blood running through their veins, I recognize it. Like you just know, like you can tell and, and you immediately like just have this connection because of what? Jesus. He's just in us. And so we look at this and we go, all right, we're in the last of days, but not the least of days. We recognize the seal of the deal. And because we are able to recognize the seal of the deal, we know how to cope with a counterfeit. This is the last thing that John teaches us. Watch this. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. Like there's the promise, like eternal life in Christ. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. Listen, church, there will be people who try to lead you astray. And John has, was dealing with it. The apostle John who knew Jesus is dealing with people who are trying to lead people who have been born again astray, trying to lead them into some confusing teaching. He says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And so the, the, the anointing of the Holy Spirit teaches us all things concerning the word of life. If you look in John chapter, I believe, 15, 16, and 17, the gospel of John, 
it will begin to talk about, Jesus will begin to talk about the Holy Spirit coming. And he says, when he comes, he will convict the world of truth. Um, he will convict the world of sin. He, he will teach you all things. Okay? So when the Spirit of God is in you and he is teaching and he, he is living inside of you, this is what he means by you don't need anybody to teach you something. You can smell out error is basically what John is saying. The anointing is real, not counterfeit. And he uses this word remain, which is the same word we, it's the root word mino, and it means abide, which is what Jesus talked about on John, in John chapter 15. If you abide in me, you will bear fruit. Okay, and so what he's saying here is when the seal of the deal has taken place, you know how to cope with a counterfeit because the word of God has taken fruit, a root in your life. It's taken root and it's bearing fruit. And that's how you know. Like, you can look, and, and if the fruit is like, <laughs> if the fruit doesn't look like Jesus, we got a problem, okay? Now, the word starts doing its job in the anointed when we know how to use the word as the scales to weigh a man's message. Every believer on the planet ought to be able to listen to the message that's coming out of the lips of a man and go, that's on or it's off. Why? Because the spirit of God lives in us. And like you listen to something and you're, you're in tune with the Holy Spirit, and you hear it, you can tell whether there's error and moving away from the truth of God's word. And when that happens, we ought to be putting the brakes on and saying, whoa, this is counterfeit. That can happen in the church? I'm reading from the Bible. Like this was happening with the apostle John. It was happening in the church. There were people in the church who were teaching things that were unfit to be talked about from the word from what was received from God. And John is calling it out and saying, man, it doesn't fly. You can't do that. You, you can't be there. And so if the message deviates from the pure gospel, what is John saying? It's anti-gospel. And, and, and the blood-bought believer will not follow error because the Holy Spirit detects it. Like you, you don't even have to be educated if the word of God is in you and you, you, you're just, you don't have to be a theologian to know it. You just know. That's why when the apostle Paul came into the uh, city of Berea and he started teaching the Bereans, man, they took to, they listened to what he said. They compared it to the words that they had already received and they weren't just going to accept it. And so here we look and we see that the big idea of today's talk He's faced the truth or pay the consequences. Like, like, man, I love Jesus. Like, I love Jesus more than anything in life. And I love the word. And I love how, man, Jesus is so gracious with me. Okay? Like, he is just, he's so I can't hardly talk to him in prayer without talking about how gracious he is to me and how messed up I am. But because we celebrate his grace, does not give us the right to excuse that when he returns, 
he's not riding on a donkey. He's riding on a stallion. And though John the Revelator says that a sword is coming out of his mouth, and it is the word. And so like, he tells us, like, he's coming back to make things right. And how will things be made right? The word. And so when the word is not taken seriously, we're putting ourselves in a, in a, in a, a very vulnerable state. It does matter what we believe. And it matters that in our acceptance of Jesus as the truth, that he promises us eternal life. And it starts now. See, remember how I started to talk and said that God created time, but he's outside of it? He's offering us to be timeless people. And so when we meet Jesus... Eternity starts ticking for us in eternal life. Now, death is separation. And so if we don't know Christ, those are the consequences. And it's, it, it matters that we're sincere in that belief because that is what the word teaches. And so the gospel, here's, here's what I want you to take away. The gospel must not only be heard, it must be given a vital place in one's life. We must receive it, we must unite with it, and it must affect us. If it does not, we are not little-born ones. We are religious people. And I think that's the lie our community has swallowed. Because there's so much wealth around here that people don't have to worry too much about problems. And so we live in a fantasy world of just pleasing ourselves all the time, which I have no problem of enjoying pleasurable things. But the world system has the believer in a wealthy place distracted. And I'm fearful that those we love and do life with have swallowed a lie. And the only thing to correct that is people of truth whom Jesus is shining brightly and love is coming out of their lives and truth just comes out because it's who they are. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.